Hello, and welcome to the Oral History at Shippensburg University podcast. This program comes to you from students in the Oral History class that is part of Shippensburg University's Public History and Graduate Applied History programs. This year, students conducted oral history interviews with people in South Central Pennsylvania who shared their experiences during the COVID-19 pandemic. Most of this year's podcast will be drawn from those interviews, and one will be from archival interviews on a topic that is different altogether. Please be our guests as we share what we've learned about the past through oral history and about oral history itself. Hello, my name is Nicholas Collery. And my name is Christopher Ott. In this podcast episode, Professionals Under Pressure, we discuss professionalism during COVID-19 through Cumberland Valley professionals' perspectives. These professionals include Dr. Jim Freeman, a Shippensburg doctor, and Bethany Salazuro, the Cumberland County Director of Elections and Voter Registration. So, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about Dr. Jim Freeman? Okay, Dr. Jim Freeman is a, uh, is a medical doctor in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, and kind of other areas within the Cumberland Valley with 20-plus years of experience in the field. Uh, he graduated from Sidney Kimmel Medical College out of um, Thomas Jefferson. And uh, during the pandemic, he served as a – he served on a cruise ship as a kind of like a general physician on the ship, and he is a former chairman of Pennsylvania for the Pennsylvania Board of Medicine. So this is a guy that you know, has you know experience in the field and has done a little bit of everything. My narrator, um, her name is Bethany Sazulo. Uh, she's been the Cumberland County Director of Elections and Voter Registration since 2016. She worked with the county in elections since 2004. She is a BA in journalism at Penn West Edinburgh, and she was in college from 1999 to 2004. And she's been working a lot, uh, especially through COVID-19 with uh, a bunch of elections, especially the presidential election, and working with the election that just happened on November 8th, um, the general election of 2022. So why don't we get to the meat of our podcast and let's talk about COVID-19. Okay, so to begin, just a little bit of overview about uh, COVID-19. So according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, uh, COVID-19 is a mild to severe respiratory illness that is caused by a coronavirus, which is a severe acute respiratory syndrome, corona of the genius beta coronavirus. Uh, it's transmitted chiefly by contact with infectious material uh, like respiratory droplets or with objects or surfaces contaminated by the causative virus. And it's characterized especially by fever, cough, and shortness of breath and may progress into ammonia and uh, respiratory failure. Uh, just t- t- to note, uh, you know, while fever, cough, and shortness of breath are, you know, common systems of COVID-19. Other symptoms may include fatigue, chills, body aches, headaches, loss of taste or smell, sore throat, runny nose, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Uh, and COVID-19 was first identified in Wuhan, China, in uh, December 2019. And with all this research, now we actually have a definition. Before that, um, we didn't know anything that was going on. Um, here on campus, we had people who had headaches. They were nauseated. Some just didn't feel good and we thought it was just a flu or a cold but now we actually have a name COVID-19 and now we have uh, the symptoms too um, 
But within our communities, especially in Cumberland Valley, uh, Cumberland County and Franklin County, um, people were very, very nervous. I know during the interview with Bethany Sazulo, um, she was really nervous. And I have a quote from her that discusses the way that she felt. I was really nervous because we didn't know much about it. You know, we were wiping down our groceries when we came home from the store. I was leaving packages outside for two days. And, you know, it was just, it was very, it's a very unsure, it was a very unsure time. And now with Dr. Jim Freeman, was he nervous when we first discovered COVID-19 in early 2020? Uh, yeah, absolutely. He was nervous. Uh, one of the things he talked about was kind of as, you know, a person with diabetes, which is definitely one of those things that make COVID worse. He's worried about kind of not working without like a K95. So that's something he's he's very nervous about. And he wishes he could wear because he's willing to treat COVID patients. He just would prefer to have one of those. Well, he doesn't want to bring it to himself or his family. Gotcha. And I know that Cumberland uh, County, at least, uh, and many of the surrounding counties and much of the United States, you know, they adopted masking policies. Everybody was wearing a mask, sometimes outside, sometimes inside. Um, and with that, did he experience anybody that was kind of, you know, skeptical about wearing a mask or anything like that? Uh, yeah, he uh, definitely does. Um, he mentions about when he goes to vote in person during the uh, 2020 uh, presidential election that people there voting the same time as him had, you know, or, you know, kind of hassle him about why he has a mask on. And, you know, he, he talks about that. And then also he talks about briefly during the pandemic, he also had a practice in Alabama and the uh, doctor there was like evangelical, uh, would tell like his patients to, you know, take that mask off and, uh, here's just a little quote of um, Dr. Freeman talking about the, that doctor. Worked in Alabama in a family practice for a short time, and there was a physician there that was a non-vaxxer, non-masker, and he was encouraging the patients that would come in with masks on to please take their masks off. And then he was a bit of a um, evangelist about not vaccinating. Now, state boards of medicine, of which I was the president or the chairman of Pennsylvania's, are now taking action against those professionals who speak completely outside of the realm of science and espouse things that are very detrimental to the public health. Mm -hmm. um, so we take that very seriously. I mean, we're here to help people. And if you're going to no longer rely upon science and just make stuff up and use anecdotes and hearsay and fabrication to make advisements, then the boards of medicine of the states are going to take very dimly to that and now begin to sanction those people, uh, suspending their license to practice and the sorts of things they should do to people who are endangering the, the health of the public. Uh, that's why the boards exist, is to protect the public against you know, bad practitioners. So yeah, he definitely experienced all of you know, that, that stuff. And did his, uh, the place that he, you know, he works as a professional, did they adopt any new procedures? I know that in the, some of the polling places um, in Cumberland County, Bethany Sozulo, you know, she talks about using hand sanitizer, plexiglass, social distancing, um, people wearing masks. They were disinfecting everything. And here's a quote of her, you know, discussing some of the things that were happening at these polling places. So we have all sorts of uh, 
uh, procedures in place. So we had plexiglass shields put up at the polling places. So when you as a voter would go up to the book to sign the book, you and the person at the table were separated by plexiglass. Um, we had disposable everything. The amount of pens that our polling places got was like obscene because we said, voter signs a poll book, throw it away, get a new pen, hand sanitizer. We wiped down all surfaces continuously, whether that's the voting machine screens or the tables or the doorknobs. Um, we had just, I mean, it was, we still actually have a lot of those things in place. I don't know when they'll ever go away, but yeah. <laughs> Masking also. So did Dr. Jim Freeman's um, work area, did they adopt anything? Uh, to an extent, um, we didn't talk about it a whole lot because, you know, a lot of those practices of sanitizing and all of that were things that he did already all the time as a, as a medical professional. Right. It was just kind of learning particularly what COVID was and how to treat it, which was the biggest thing that they were trying to, to, uh, to, uh, to accomplish. And that amounts a lot of pressure, especially on that professional, you know, trying to understand something even though you know you might know you might not know yourself um so as the vaccines came out they rolled out just after the presidential election of 2020 um we're talking about maybe december january um that these vaccines started rolling out uh were people skeptical did dr jim freeman talk about maybe people being skeptical of you know, taking uh, these these vaccines? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, he talked about people being skeptical of taking the vaccine. Um, the big things he talked about was people kind of looking at that, well, well, it's risky. I could, you know, the heart issues, this, that, and the other thing. And Dr. Freeman was like, yeah, and COVID is, the COVID vaccine is less risky than, the vaccines that some of you would have gotten when you were a child and it's far safer than a lot of the other things that we do in our society without uh, thinking, you know, anything of. Gotcha. And there was this clear divide, I mean, between people who were very uh, for the vaccine, Bethany Osozulo being one of them, and here's a quote of her talking about the vaccine. I was super excited for the vaccines to come out and, you know, was as soon as I could get it, I was getting it. And then some people who were very reluctant in getting it. Um, do you want to talk about maybe some of the issues surrounding the vaccine and why people had that kind of idea of maybe going for it or, or against it? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, just mistrust of the government, kind of mistrust in the idea of, um, you know, like big pharma, you know. And I definitely think some of those communities has a more valid excuse, like particularly during that time you had the African-American community that's like, look at what happened to us during the Tuskegee experiment. Yeah, we're not trustful of a government or medical professionals urging us to get this shot. And in that area, you know, absolutely, I would, you know, if I was, you know, a member of that community, I absolutely would be hesitant as well. But a lot of it, I think, is, people in like rural America that just have this distrust and kind of like the government because they remember kind of their cultural memory, which kind of goes back to the coal mine days when for generations, you know, they were just forced to work for, you know, company script and the government did nothing to stop it through, you know, entire generations. So they just have this mistrust of the government, this mistrust of 
like professionals. And anything they tell them, they're just going to take with a grain of salt, and they're going to, you know, come up with these, like, conspiracy theories for, like, ah, you know, Bill Gates, the rich guy. He talked about how the, before the pandemic started with people living together, you know, as close together as they are, a pandemic would happen. So, therefore, he must have been behind it. And the vaccine's his, too, so. You know, he's just getting rich off making people as zombies or, hey, you know, ivermectin, this drug, you know, that a lot of mainstream, you know, medicine is uh, pushing for. Now, not a lot of, is against. Here's these small groups of doctors, uh, particularly um, one of the doctors that pushed for ivermectin, which he's a doctor that has since gone on a lot of scrutiny and has to uh, has to retract a lot of his statements and studies uh Dr. Pierre Corey, who claimed ivermectin was effectively a miracle drug against COVID, which is just, uh, it's not um, multiple studies, which have been way more, you know, rigorous than the ones he did, have proven that it was not, and he since had to retract those statements. And uh, Dr. Jim Freeman shares uh, similar sentiments about ivermectin with uh, this quote here. see that all the time. I mean, it's it's truly, I mean, the uh, the dust ivermectin, people were taking. I, I work with a nurse practitioner who's an equestrian. She's uh, very into horses and she knows anecdotally of people taking, taking doses of ivermectin that are designed for uh, you know, an animal that you know is 10 times your body weight and uh, clearly, clearly not a good idea. Um, so yeah, I mean, taking alternative things, whether in large or small amounts, just would say don't, don't do it at all because you know, there's no no science that says it's it's at all uh, helpful, and you're running a huge risk. You know, if you want to talk about risk of the vaccine versus risk of unproven therapies, clearly the unproven therapies are are you know just incredibly more risky than just getting the dang vaccine. And uh, you also have people that are like, hey, you know, these people had diabetes and cancer first. You know, they must not have. You know, why are they saying he died of COVID? He died of other stuff, but they kind of, and they just kind of think it's the medical professionals, again, twisting the stats so they can get more money and line their pockets, kind of when in reality, you know, simply put, yeah, they had cancer, but ultimately coronavirus was uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, and here's uh, another uh, quote from uh, Dr. Freeman essentially stating that as well. The other thing that you hear all the time is that uh, there are a lot of people diagnosed with COVID on their death certificate that didn't have that it did not die of COVID. Mm-hmm. My point is I fill out those things frequently. Physicians are not finagling the data to get more money. The, the accusation has been that we put COVID on the death certificate so their institution gets more COVID federal funding. Mm. Not true. Uh, we put on the death certificate what the person had at the time of death. There's a first entry about why the person died and then there is space six or eight blanks below that for uh, diagnoses that contributed to their death. And mm-hmm. if they happen to have a, a COVID test that was positive at the time they died, then COVID goes on the death certificate and COVID becomes a contributory factor of their death. Um, there are not many people that are just, well, I shouldn't say that. There are there are a lot of people killed outright by COVID, but a lot more people mm-hmm. are killed by COVID that have other illnesses that eventually are going to kill them, but COVID you know, pushed them over the cliff. So did they die yeah. of COVID? Yeah, I mean, they did. I mean, had they not had COVID, they wouldn't be dead now. Life is terminal. I mean, we're all going to die. Uh, it's just okay. a matter of when. And, and COVID, you know, pushed a lot of those people over the brink 
sooner than they would have. So did they die of COVID? Yeah. Um, but a lot of people criticize that statistic saying that, well, unless they died purely of COVID with no other illnesses, it shouldn't be attributed to COVID. I disagree. And they kind of also have, you know, the myth that, you know, I, the ICU beds were, were empty and, you know, everything was empty. No one, you know, nothing's going on there, you know, and the ventilators, you know, being fused, that's all a bunch of garbage. But, you know, in the reality, you know, according to the CDC, throughout the pandemic, nearly 100,000 uh, COVID patients, you know, required the use of ventilators, and most, you know, were men at the risk of 60 plus. And the ICU rates at the highest point in the pandemic in America were at 29,000. And America at the time, kind of during that time period, for ICU beds that weren't burn victims were only at like 28,000. And, you know, the average ICU bed like per hospital was only 2.78 per, you know, per 10,000 people. So the idea that the ICU beds were empty is just, it's, it's not true. Gotcha. And these conflicting stories and misinformation, I mean, obviously had a very negative impact toward um, these professionals in the medical field. Um, did Dr. Jim Freeman kind of comment maybe some of the uh, pressure he was feeling as some of this misinformation was kind of finding itself within the public? Uh, yeah, he absolutely uh, felt that pressure. And number one, he's feeling pressure because, you know, the medical field's understaffed. He's doing more work than I'm sure he's probably had to do in a long time and with, you know, way less than ideal staff to do it. And it's, and it's a public, again, kind of how I talked about, especially with us being rural, where a lot of people are looking at him like he's, you know, a, a shifty, shifty guy. And he talks a lot about how he thinks, you know, that COVID was politicized and he's very worried and he has no clue how to, like, change that, that trend. And, he, you know, he has – he was worried because there are people that have gotten sick and died because – they uh they took ivermectin and you know instead of getting real treatment. Yeah, I know many Americans were feeling that definitely COVID nineteen seemed to be politicized, and I think that's what drove many people to kind of you know go to the polls, especially during the twenty twenty presidential election. I mean, COVID nineteen had a very very you know deep impact. Um, we had people, especially here in Pennsylvania, um, in the October of 2019, um, the PA legislator, they signed in PA Act 77, which you know, allowed people who were afraid to go out in public to vote, but they didn't have a reason to you know, get an absentee ballot that, you know, that they wanted to vote. And one of the main uh, ideas, uh, this bipartisan compromise, you know, allowed people to do mail-in voting. And one of the biggest things that came out of that was, especially when it was used, s some people or some legislators, especially on the Republican side, you know, they thought it was unconstitutional uh, to the PA uh, Constitution. But I think one of the biggest things is that with COVID-19 being as impactful it was, I mean, some changes were due. I mean, over in 80 years, this is the biggest, you know, change in election codes oh, absolutely. that Pennsylvania have ever seen. And with that, with mail-in ballots, um, mail-in ballots, you don't have to have an excuse. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to qualify for it, 
you know, you can't qualify um, for it if you can qualify elsewhere, like for an absentee ballot, for mm-hmm. example. And with that, some Americans, you know, they were feeling a little bit worried that their vote wouldn't count. You know, there were some certain conditions that were, you know, that people were thinking about, like maybe tampering of votes, maybe their vote would be lost or something like that. And with these mail-in votes, these ballots, Bethany Sazulo, um, she actually ran into an issue very, very early on. Um, There were some people in Cumberland County who were actually getting uh, bogus mailers. And these bogus mailers were from people who were just collecting data off the internet and they were sending them to various voters. And she discusses how her panel kind of discussed that. And here's a quote from her talking about um, how she dealt with the bogus um, mail-ins. So we got on that right away. Um, What it is, is many groups, whether it be a party organization or third party organizations, they use voting information data and it's usually never up to date. So they were mass mailing people ballot applications um, to to apply for a mail-in ballot and their their records that they had were not accurate. So they were going to people who didn't live there anymore, people who passed away or whatever. And our records were up to date, but whatever information they were getting is not. So we got together with my board of elections, with our uh, communications, and, and we put out a press release and put stuff on social media and just said, you know, this is what's going on to try to help combat that. I mean, it's hard, but <laughs> we tried. So I think COVID-19, obviously in the medical field was politicized, but I think with the whole election, I, obviously we can say that it was politicized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do you think, um, I know that Dr. Jim Freeman, as we discussed, you know, he went to vote. I've, we talked about how, you know, he went in and he talked about people not wearing masks. Um, was there anything that he was kind of worried about or anything that he was kind of voting for? He didn't really discuss that, but just kind of from the inferences he made about the uh, previous administration uh that would be uh, for people in the future being Donald Trump. He was not a fan of uh, how Donald Trump and kind of the CDC under kind of his influence handled COVID. So why he didn't necessarily discuss it, I don't think he voted for Trump. Whether that meant it was Biden or a third party or someone else, I have no clue. But I, I think I can safely infer that he did not vote for uh, Donald Trump. And I know, um, at least in the United States, there was a big issue that happened, a big event, right during the election, and that was the Stop the Steal movement. So the Stop the Steal movement, uh, according to the BBC, on November 23, 2020, on election night, the hashtag Stop the Steal movement sprung up on Twitter after the first of many misleading videos about voter fraud went viral. Uh, there was a poll worker in Philadelphia who wasn't allowed in. Um, apparently had to do something with his paperwork, but it was all worked out. And this huge movement just came up. And Facebook groups started to develop. You had people who were calling for civil war. But then you had people who were just trying to spread awareness. And, you know, because of this, because of this challenge, now all the future uh, elections, their integrity is questionable. If somebody doesn't win, 
anything can be challenged at that point. And I feel that this that this clash between public and political lens when they come together, it's a little nerve wracking. It puts a lot of pressure on an election official like Bethany Sozulo, mm-hmm. who was trying to, you know, make sure that at least in our county that voting was secure and that everything ran smoothly for operations and a whole bunch of other things. I mean, she had poll workers that were dropping out because they were nervous about COVID-19. Um, and she had to train different people. And these public relations um, ultimately, you know, caused many people, especially poll workers and um, election officials, that they faced intimidation, they faced harassment, they faced uh, just uncomfortableness. And most of that is just by through the questioning of these officials, the data and the regulations. And I think, you know, as Americans, it's something really important that we kind of have to look at. Do you think that the public relations, especially in, like, as you said, the medical field and the election field or the political field, do you think that's just, it's ever going to recover? Do you think it's going to be forever strained? I think, I, I think, for at least for the foreseeable future, there is probably going to be strain there because you now have large sects of the American public that kind of have through the politicization of the past couple of years that any time you know there's an election didn't turn out the way they wanted, you know, kind of confirmation bias. Oh, my candidate could have never possibly lost, therefore it was stolen. Or I don't like the vaccine, therefore you know anybody that doesn't like the vac, you know, that likes the vaccine is wrong, and you know. They're trying to force something on me. Yeah, I don't think I see it ending anytime soon unless kind of the, the stop the steal crowd gets the civil war that they're looking for as unfortunate as that is. I think ultimately that's something that's definitely a long way off. But I mean, s- since 2016, there was this big skepticism about um, elections in general. And that was between the presidential election um, between Hillary Clinton and Donald J. Trump. And what the skepticism kind of was built upon was that the popular vote was more in favor of Hillary Clinton, Mm -hmm. but the electoral college vote was more to Donald J. Trump. Hence, Mm -hmm. he was our president, our 45th president. And over time, I think it was just amplified um, with a bunch of information and different theories, different stories, different just perspectives of individuals. And overall, I mean, it's surmounted into January 6th. Yeah. With riots and things like that. And, I mean, we saw a change. Um, Bethany Sozulo, according to WBAY, on January 12, 2021, six days after January 6th, she discusses that, you know, the people in Cumberland County were actually changing their political parties based on what they saw and what they heard of this whole thing. And 192 people, uh, according to Bethany, changed their party registration since the January 6th riot. Only 13 people switched to the GOP, while the other 179 changed to Democrat, Independent, or a third party. And that's pretty astonishing. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we see this politicalization within the United States, and with that, with that lens, you know, we have a lot of pressure building up. Now, as the, you know, COVID starts to wane, I feel like people are more... Obviously, there's a clear divide politics-wise. I mean, we can see it through the November 8th elections. 
but I think people have come to terms with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how these professionals, however, are going to recover from all that you know intimidation, that stress, that pressure to make accommodations for the public in which they serve. But when the public, you know, disagrees with something, that's a whole different ballpark. Yeah. I think that might be a podcast for future people to make. Agree. So I think to conclude our podcast episode, Professionals Under Pressure, we hope you enjoyed learning about COVID-19 and how it impacted our narrators and the Cumberland Valley with our discussion of its effects on the medical and electoral fields. We also want to take the time to thank our narrators, Dr. Jim Freeman and Bethany Sozulo, for giving insight into their professional lives during the pandemic. We also want to thank the Shippensburg Podcast Studio for allowing us to record this podcast. And finally, we wanted to shout out to our listeners who could listen and learn from our discussions. Thank you. Yep, thank you.